So I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, from verses 12 to 17. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, from 12 to 17. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus here, there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ, triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, as those sent from God. Amen. Good morning, everybody. For those that are new and have not had the, um, I don't want to say privilege, but we have not had a chance to meet. Uh, I am Robert Smith. I'm from America. I am not the pastor here. Uh, I serve as an elder in the church and was asked if I would preach several times this summer. And today is Pentecost Sunday. Do you celebrate memories? In your life, do you celebrate the memory of an event, a birthday? Yours, a family member's. In America, at, with certain families, it's popular to have family reunions where once a year the whole family will get together from scattered abroad and they'll rent a large venue and they'll have a weekend together. This year, and I'm telling my age here by the next two, this year my high school will celebrate the 50th graduation reunion. I will not be there. I will be in Europe. Um, and this past week, my wife and I celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary. Well, as has been mentioned, today is Pentecost Sunday. And it's a day that we remember something that took place some 2,000-odd years ago. But it goes much further back. And there is a divine plan of God through it all. Pentecost was originally called Shavuot. Now, I have a Greek expert that's in the crowd. He can probably uh, correct my, or a Hebrew expert. He can probably correct my Hebrew, but I was uh, under the impression it was referred to as Shavuot. And Shavuot was seven weeks after Passover. Now, right after Passover was the feast of first fruits. And we're told that God in the book of Leviticus 
ask the, the Israelites to remember certain dates. Passover was one of them. Immediately after that was the, the, uh, the Feast of First Fruits. And then later on, seven weeks later, they were to remember the feast that was called Shavuot. It was typically called uh, the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks later, seven times seven, 49. It was the day after, the 50th day. It was sometimes referred to as the Feast of Sheaves. Now, a sheave is when they would go out and gather grain, they would cut off the grain stalks and would bundle them into bundles. And in old pictures, you've probably seen this. It's fanned out at the bottom and the, the grain is all uh, flowering out at the top and they're tied together. And they would bring these sheaves into the temple and they would give a wave offering to the Lord. They would wave these sheaves before the Lord. And it was thanking God for the harvest. And it was typically recognized at the end of the grain harvest in the beginning of the, beginning of the fruit harvest. So grains were finishing up, at least the first harvest of them, and fruits were starting. Now, they are a much more southern climate than we are here. They could probably have multiple grain harvests. Um, here in Latvia, we have one harvest. We have a short summer, and so we're not used to that. But it was a wave offering to the Lord, thanking him for the full harvest of the grain. Now, in 70 AD, Rome came into Israel and completely destroyed the temple, completely destroyed Jerusalem, and removed from the Jews the possibility of presenting their offerings before God. They could not bring the Passover lamb. They could not bring the grain harvest. They could not bring any of the things that the Lord had required. And so subsequently they changed a lot of what the, uh, the feast and the festivals were for. Uh, today, um, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Sheaves, is to celebrate the giving of the Torah. Or at least that's what I've read. Now, since Christianity went out to the Greeks, this festival took on a Greek name. And uh, again, we have an expert in the Greek language in our room, and I may completely mispronounce it, but it was Pentecoste, and it meant 50th day, more or less. We now call it Pentecost. So just after Passover, which occurred right after Easter in, uh, for, for the Christian community, they offered up we gave, uh, gave God thanks for the first fruits, then later for the full harvest and the beginning of the fruit. And they recognized it as God's blessing on their crops. 
God had told them, when you go in and claim the property, the promised land, that on the 50th day after Passover, you will bring the wave offering to me. Now, they were an agricultural society, and they lived from year to year on the grain off, on the grains, on their crops. And so they began to look at it from a strictly agricultural standpoint, thanking God for the grain. But God had a bigger plan. In fact, God had a plan that started all the way back in Genesis. And we'll see that as we tie things together. The Jewish people would gather from all over the known world. Now, I didn't say Hebrew because Hebrew was a nationality. But there were people that practiced the Jewish faith from all over the known world. And they would gather together on this particular day. They would bring an offering to God, supposed to be a sheave offering. And so at the time there were people from all over the world in Jerusalem. And we know this because later on in, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, we see the slave of a queen of Ethiopia. Okay, now history tells us she was Arab, um, but she had an Ethiopian slave and she was appointed as the queen of Ethiopia. And he had been to Jerusalem to worship. And Philip saw him reading from the book of Isaiah as he was traveling home in his chariot. And he came up and he said, do you understand what you're reading? Long story short, Philip explained the gospel to him. And the man understood and he believed. And he said, look, here's water that's baptized me. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, right after Easter, or on Easter as we would celebrate it, right after Passover, on Jesus' resurrection, the disciples believed. It took them a day or two. It took Thomas to actually touch Jesus, to touch the hole in his side, to touch the holes in his hands. But he believed. And right after Passover was the first fruits of the church. Fifty days later, now Jesus was on this earth for 40 days, and he told his disciples, remain in Jerusalem. And 50 days later, after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit came, and we're told he came in a, uh, a sound like a rushing wind. And there were a lot of miracles that took place. Peter, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, got up and began to speak. And the other apostles got up with him and began to speak, and people heard the gospel in their own language. Now, whether or not they were speaking in another language or the people were hearing in another language. I've heard people dispute this, but it would still be a miracle for all these people to hear 
a Hebrew speaking and understand it in their own language. I choose to believe what the Bible says, that the disciples actually spoke in languages they did not know and people understood. And I get that because hundreds of years before that, man had gathered together in a place called Babel. And God confused their languages. God had told man to scatter across the earth and to subdue it. And they thought, no, we're going to gather together. We're going to build us a tower. We're going to be equal to God. And God saw this and he confused their language. They were all of one language at that moment. And God brought confusion, which caused man to scatter. This time... God didn't bring confusion. He took people of multiple languages and he brought understanding. An understanding of the gospel. But the people still scattered. That was God's purpose. was the beginning of the church. The people scattered. They went around. They went to every part of the known world. And they began telling people about Jesus. Now we read today from 2 Corinthians about Paul. And in the very first part of it, Paul says, I was going to Troas, and when he got to Troas, he was not satisfied in his spirit that that's where God wanted him. And so he went on. But Paul was following the lead of the Spirit, and he was going around, and he was spreading the gospel. Now, the result is the same. Wherever we are, wherever we're from, I look out here today, I see people from Australia, from India, from Norway, from Germany, from Vietnam. I see people from America, people from Latvia. Wherever we go, we are to spread the good news. Too many times in our Christian experience, we want to look back and we want things to be exactly as they were for somebody else. And we look back at Pentecost and we think, oh, if I could, if I could just experience something like Pentecost. We see the spectacular, we see the, um, the miracle, and we think, oh, I want that in my life so much. But the miracle is that God saves any of us. The miracle you've experienced. It may not be the spectacular that you think it should be, but it is spectacular nonetheless. We focus so many times on the event and not the reason for the event. There were 12, there were 10, excuse me, there were 10 plagues in Egypt. And after the 10th, God delivered Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, the bondage of slavery to Pharaoh. 
Hundreds of years later, Israel was once again, they found themselves as slaves, as a captured people in Babylon. Now we're told on one hand that God hardened the king. He hardened his heart, Pharaoh. But in this particular case, God softened the heart of the king and he allowed the Jews to return. God does not always do things exactly the same every time. We have a way of looking back and expecting our experience to be like somebody else's. While God wants, to rem wants us to remember his goodness, he wants us to remember the past, but not to live in the past. So what does this have to do with our text? It's kind of an odd text for Pentecost. Most people would go to the book of Acts. But the point was, they left after Pentecost, and they were the aroma the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere. We are to be that fragrance of Jesus, not just the pastors, not just missionaries, not just our elders or our deacons, not just evangelists. We. We as Christians are the fragrance of Christ. To the world. Much like those at Pentecost went out, we go out. We see here a gathering from people of all over the world. Pentecost is not about how or the method that God used, it's about the result. They took the gospel with them as they went home. Most of us that are international at least, will not live here forever. We will go home. We will go someplace else. We're here for a season and we will go home. But regardless of where we are, we are to be the aroma of him to the world. It is not our job to make people believe. It is our job to tell them the gospel. And we see this in verses 15 and 16 when Paul says that the fragrance of Christ are for those being saved as well as for those who are perishing. For some, it is an aroma of life. For others, an aroma of death. It's not us that makes them believe. So oftentimes, we get frustrated when we witness to people and they don't quite understand. And it's because the Holy Spirit gives understanding. Not us. We are not to make them believe. We are to be the aroma, the fragrance of Christ before them. Last week, when, when Jetty was speaking, we learned about the sovereignty of God in salvation. So why do we bother? Why do we bother? Well, for one reason, because in the Great Commission in Matthew, Jesus tells us to go into all the world. Now, technically, he was talking to the apostles. But he said, go into all the world and share the gospel. 
Romans chapter 10 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We see here two things that we are responsible for. The preaching. Now, that doesn't mean standing up here behind a pulpit or behind a podium and preaching on Sunday. But it means telling people the gospel story. We can do that over coffee. We can do that over a meal. We can do that in the library if they let you talk. <laughs> we can do that wherever we are. And that is our responsibility. To tell them the gospel, to be the fragrance of Jesus, the aroma. You notice both of those words uh, give us the idea of a pleasantness. Okay? We talk about the fragrance of a flower. Um, last week when my wife and I was, was up the coast, we're up the coast, um, we stopped at this big rapeseed field. Some of you saw the pictures that we took of it. Uh, just huge fields of yellow. And somebody had put up in their field, they had put up this big frame, and you could go stand at the frame and have your picture made with uh, the leaves and, the, and the, the flowers all in the background. And even has sign up for a photo opportunity and a parking lot for you to stop in. But the point is, as we walked to it, we walked through a narrow path about this wide, single file. And there were just a sea of yellow flowers all around us. And the fragrance of those flowers just filled the air. It was a pleasant smell. When we think of aroma, and Paul uses both words in, in 2 Corinthians, fragrance and aroma. We think of food and its pleasantness. We don't think of something that stinks. Okay? We are not the stink of Christ. We are the aroma, the fragrance. As we teach, as we preach, as we share the gospel. The other thing that we're responsible for is he talks about the sending. We send. How are they to go unless they're sent? Now, I cannot go everywhere. At the moment, I'm not allowed in Russia, okay? <laughs> There's a number of places that I cannot go, but there are people that can. Some of them may be nationals that I'm aware of, and I can support them financially. And it is our responsibility to support the sending of the word, both locally and internationally. We do it by supporting our local church. Operating this congregation has costs. We have a salary to pay. We have rent to pay. We have coffee to buy. 
we have a lot of we have costs. It's not it, it just can't be done without it. Rent, utilities, salary, just to name a few. <clears throat> Second, we can also support missionaries. Now, I am a missionary from America. I and my wife and I have visited many churches in the U.S. We are supported by individual churches and individuals. And uh, we will be going back in December and we'll be spending six or seven months visiting all of our supporting churches, letting them know where their money's been going and what it's been doing. You can do it through your church or you can support individually. We are supported both ways. We are supported through large churches, small churches, and by individuals. We have one lady that gives $15 every quarter, $5 a month. That's that widow's might, but it helps. We do not take it for granted. But we are responsible for that. Now, when I use the word responsible, we should only support those that are reputable. And how do we know? Paul talks about peddlers of the gospel in 2 Corinthians. Well, many missionaries have an organization, and those organizations will vet or they will examine the missionaries before they allow them to go and to use their name. But not all do. So we should be responsible with our money. It's not impossible to support a missionary with no organization. It is possible. I would be very careful, but it is possible. And I'm sure there are people that are independent that are very sincere and commissioned by somebody. By being missionaries in Latvia, my wife and I have to have a letter of invitation by a local church. We have to have a letter from a sending organization. We have to have a number of different documents from the U.S. God does not call each of us to leave our home and to go to a foreign land as missionaries. But we see in, in 2 Corinthians that we are responsible for the spreading of God's word by either going and doing or sending. Now the question this morning is, are you a participant in the spreading of God's gospel or are you just an observer? Christianity is not like an ice hockey game, okay? We watched ice hockey last night. Thousands of people watching it, rooting for their team. My team lost last night. Uh, but thousands of people rooting for their team. Yeah, do it, do it. That's not Christianity. We are all participants, and we all have the responsibility to participate. Have you begun to obey the Bible and its commands of our Lord? Participating 
in the spreading of the gospel. I encourage you today, as we celebrate Pentecost, to examine your fragrance. See if it is a fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus. And are you taking it everywhere you go? doesn't need to be a huge event. It doesn't need to be spectacular. But it needs to start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. That while we were yet sinners, you died on the cross. I pray that you empower us, just as you did those in the first century, to spread your gospel, to be bold in our faith, and to be unwavering in your sight, that one day we might come before you and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray this in your name. Amen.